Hey everybody, welcome into the I Want to Know podcast. I'm your host, Greg Jones, and I'm going to be leading you on this inquisitive departure into audio wisdom. Today's show is a little bit lighter, a little more fun than we've been having as of late, but I'll get to that in just a second. First, I want to thank you guys for telling a friend, for telling the family, for everyone you've been telling, all the retweets and the likes and the shares and all that stuff on the inner tubes. It means a lot to me that you guys are helping this show out. You know, we have no advertising budget. I'm a poor guy. But the numbers keep creeping up little by little, and that's obviously thanks to you guys for telling people about the show. So thanks for that. Thank you for supporting our guests so far. You know, these people come on, and they trust me to make them sound good, to make sure their story gets conveyed, and all that sort of thing. And it's uh, it's a bit of a responsibility for me, and one that I've never had before this show. And you guys are really helping out by supporting them, by giving me your feedback, like, hey, that interview was awesome. This question was great, or whatever it is. So thank you guys for sending me that feedback. Keep it coming, please. Keep supporting our guests. All of that good stuff. So let me tell you about today's guest. His name is Wilson Casey. He's not only a multi-Guinness Book of World Records record holder, but he is also an author of many books. And the one we're talking about tonight is called Bedlam on the West Virginia Rails. The Last Train Bandit Tells His True Tale. Lumen Lou Ramsdell was America's last moving train robber, and he sat down for the last couple years of his life and told Wilson Casey his entire story because he wanted this published as a book. And when Wilson contacted me about the show, I was reading over some of the notes, some of the conversation they had. And first of all, let me geek out for a second. I am a huge train geek. I love trains. So that immediately piqued my interest. And then I was reading about Lou and what kind of character he was. And he is quite the character. He's a real funny guy, just kind of that grumpy old man that you don't want to mess with. So this is a really fun story for you guys. I think you're going to enjoy it. And Wilson Casey is quite the storyteller. The story starts in 1949 when Lou robbed a moving train. And it just goes on from there. He was gunned down in front of the president. He was involved in shady mafia-esque type dealings. All sorts of things. Before we start the show, I want to make sure you guys know that you can check out Wilson Casey at TriviaGuy.com. You can get his book, Bedlam on the West Virginia Rails, on Amazon. When you're going to do that, just click on the Amazon banner at the bottom of IWantToKnowShow.com. doesn't cost you guys anything extra. kicks a couple of pennies back in my direction. helps keep the show free for you guys. So let's get right to it. All right, everybody, I'm being joined by Wilson Casey, author of Bedlam on the West Virginia Rails, The Last Train Bandit Tells His True Tale. Uh, Wilson, how's it going? Yes, thank you, Greg. Appreciate you having me. It's great. I'm in uh, Spartanburg, South Carolina. Oh, nice. Sunny East South. Coast. So like I was saying, Wilson is the author of Bedlam on the West Virginia Rails, which is a story of basically the last uh, train robber in America. And he sat down with the author for a couple of years. They talked it out. He wrote his book. We are going to get into how that all went down. But first, uh, he's also the the trivia guy. Yeah, I've been labeled that. Uh, a few years ago, I set a couple of Guinness World Records that were trivia-related. One was for running my mouth over the radio for 30 consecutive hours. <laughs> and what I was doing, I was correctly identifying the correct answer to 3,333 trivia questions correct in a row. And... Uh, Still can't believe it, but I did do it. It's all documented, and uh, you know that's that's a good eye opener and a good uh, conversation starter at any parties or group or anything. Hey, that guy's got a Guinness World Record trivia. Let's go stop him. (laughs) Well, yeah, and I I write a syndicated newspaper column on trivia too. Uh, King features nationally distributes it for me, and I've really been blessed, Greg. I took a little hobby of trivia and turn it into a living. It's not a great living, but it's a living. But I, I write trivia uh, full-time. I research it, and I speak and entertain with it. And uh, I've written numerous uh, numerous books and uh, have a literary agent in New York City and just really, really work my butt off with all this stuff. It sounds so, like how, it. how do you come up with all this stuff? Well, when you put in 50 or 60 hours a week Jeez. nonstop... But uh, my granddad said, you never work any harder than when you work for yourself. And that's <laughs> the truth. I don't care what job you're in. If you're working for yourself, you work your butt off. But, uh, but, I, but I have fun with it. I'm like a sponge of learning new things. And this, uh, yeah, I told you, I speak at entertainment, trivia. I speak at churches, civic groups, pubs, 
And this character, for lack of a better word, would be in my audience. Uh-huh. And eventually, this would turn out to be the uh, train robber. This guy would be in my audience. When I'd be packing up speakers and things like that at the very end, uh, this elderly gentleman, and he was 83 at the time, he would just come up to me, and there was no small talk or anything. He'd just say, who's America's last train robber? Who's America's last train robber? <laughs> and I, having trivia records, I'm used to people asking me questions, and I didn't. I wasn't rude to him, but I kept, I told him, well, it was either Butch Cassidy or Jesse James. I said to myself, well, he's old, got Alzheimer's maybe, and, you know, he's just fixated on that subject. Yeah. So this, this went on for several weeks. I'd be speaking somewhere. There's this guy back there loping around. He's a loner. And the thing about it is, 83 years old, had a long white beard, and he'd wear these black gusters. I mean, he looked. People told me, that guy's a vampire. So I only <laughs> see him at night. They were scared of him, you know. So sure enough, he kept coming up and asking me that, asking me that, and I kept getting the same answer. So, and I said, well, I got to put this thing at rest or something. So I, I had another gig speaking. This was at a fancy writer's project, and, you know, they had beer and wine, and it was flowing pretty easy, and, uh, you know, all of us were partaking and enjoying my speech about whatever. Of course. And uh, there it was again, come up when I'm putting up the speakers and stuff. I said to myself, it ends tonight. So sure enough, who's America's last train robber? And I said, why in the living hell do you keep asking me that? I got to know. <laughs> and he said, it wasn't Jesse James or Bush Cassidy. It was me. And my jaw dropped. And then he had this old satchel full of 1939 New York Times, LA Times, Chicago Tribunes, all the major newspapers were talking about this bank robbery. And it was all these... Uh, newspaper clippings about him. Mm-hmm. He was 23 years old at the time, and he, him and his gang stopped a 150-passenger, 150-passenger diesel train Jeez. outside of Martinsburg, West Virginia. They robbed it, shot, terrorized people. Then they went and robbed a tavern of 50 people. Then they thought they were invincible. They tried to get to the president of the United States, Harry S. Truman. Then they got in a shootout only five blocks from the White House. I, and I, this guy's hitting me with all of this. And But to, to backtrack for a second, the reason that he was kind of following me around and trying to feel me out, uh, coming to all my gigs and things. He wasn't trying to rob you, was he? No, I wasn't trying to rob him, Greg. He was chasing me out. He wanted to find someone that could tell his life story. And I, I was touched by that. So I, I came to know the train robber. We spent about three years together. I would meet him for a breakfast biscuit, and uh, he would generally tell me his story. And there's so many funny little side stories with this thing, and we'll, we'll go into those later in just a few minutes or two. Yeah. But, uh, but everything that he told me, no matter how far afresh it was, I was able to collaborate it with newspaper articles, and I dug up some uh, actual people that were still alive. And, uh, but every, and you know, this, this wasn't really anything on the Internet about this. It was all, I'd go through libraries and microfilm and find these newspaper things. He'd tell me some story about the oh, you know, and I'd go look it up, and there it is. So I had no doubt to believe, not to believe anything that he didn't tell me. But uh, my critics say, well, you glamorized that. that and I said, well, I don't know, I glamorized. I mean, it was more fascination and intrigue to get into the mind of an evil genius. His IQ was measured at 142, uh, genius is 140 Jeez. and above, but this guy, you know, he just lived on the the uh, wrong side of the tracks, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> pun but, intended. Uh, yeah, yeah, pun in, pun intended. But uh, to the the thing too, and and we're 
we're, we're getting some Hollywood nibbles on this. Uh, I had to come up with a tagline. That's what a that's a selling point for a movie. And right. The tag tagline that we came up with: He never meant to rob a moving train, nor get gunned down near the president. It really happened, and it really did. <laughs> it really did. The um, any question you want to ask about this guy, I'd be glad to, because I feel like I really came uh, to know him. And the thing about it, when he he came to my area just to live under the radar the last 10 years of his life. Uh, he was originally from Youngstown, Ohio. Okay. And he called that, he called that like a little Chicago, but, um, him and, and the press, it's amazing how the, the press got something mixed up. Whoa. The, the I mean, 1949, never no, the 1949 press, uh, they thought it was a gang of six, eight, ten guys to rob, to do this. It was only two. It was Lou and Duke. And by the way, Duke Ashton, uh, the other gang member, is alive and well, and he, he lives in Honolulu, Hawaii. I, uh, I was able to find him, and I set up Lou, Lou Ramsdale as a head bandit, and I, I got them on. This is for Lou died, the head bandit. He died in September of 2012. Okay. But before that, I, I got them on the phone together, and they hadn't spoken in over 60 years. So that was, boy, can you imagine that? <laughs> Those two talking about it. The um, Did you get to listen in on that conversation? No, I, I I gave them their privacy, but I could really hear Lou laughing and carrying on. I mean, and after that, Lou, I mean, he was just, I mean, he would tell me anything. He, he was so appreciative of that. I mean, he, he was just so appreciative of that. that some of the, they're not, I don't mean them to be funny stories, but, but they are kind of funny uh, when Lou was explaining all of this. When they're... Um, robbing the train. They're going up and down the train aisles, and they're, they're shooting, and they're using the butt of their gun to hit people, and, you know, it's terror. That's what, he said, terror is what makes people freeze. But he said, the old biddies, talking about the ladies who had furs and jewelry, okay. he said, they weren't giving up, they weren't giving up their jewelry and stuff. <laughs> but no, we hit them over the head, smacking them, and, they, and they're fussing at us for robbing the train. He said, the man, well, here's my wallet. Take it, take it. Just don't, just don't shoot me. Just don't shoot me. He said, the old biddies just wouldn't give it up. <laughs> wouldn't give it up. <laughs> so I, can, I can just visualize that. I mean, you know, that, that kind of makes sense, I guess. But the, uh, the part about he never meant to rob a moving train, him and uh, Duke were passengers on the train. The, the press called them the Zoot Suit Bandits. They were styling. They were wearing, Lou always wanted to act like he was a big shot. <laughs> so they were in the club car, boozing it up. Sure. And sure, boozing it up. No intentions of robbing this 150 passenger, state of the art diesel train, uh, B&O Railroad. Uh, to this day, B&O is still embarrassed about that. I mean, they just, they had, they had advertised they had the most secure train. You know, security. Uh, the head bandit train robber told me there's absolutely no security on that train. None. <laughs> nothing. None. None. So, but anyway, they're in the club car boozing it up, and then they start buying rounds of drinks for everybody. They do it two or three times. And then the porter said, well, boys, y'all need to settle your, your bill up. And they said, oh, we got money. It's just back in the bank. We got plenty of money. What it was, they had robbed supermarkets in the uh, Midwest. That's that's what they do. Uh, now, Duke, Duke wasn't in on this, but Luba had another gang, and they would rob supermarkets. And Luba always told me, lose the headband at the train robber. He said, yeah, anybody would be crazy to rob a bank. said, there's security, there's guards. He said, on Saturday in the Midwest, people come into town to buy the groceries for the week or for the month. There's no security. He said, we, we rob a supermarket every Saturday. <laughs> and they had, yeah, I mean, you know, the mentality of this, you know, never got caught, never got caught. So 
They had cash in a suitcase back in the baggage department of the train. So they finally told the poor yeah, up. cash is back there where the bags are. Well, let's go get it, what the porter said. So they make their way back, and the baggage is, is kind of crammed in there. They jump up to pull it down, and they pull it down. There's two cases they have. They pull it down, and both of them spring open. One of them, cash is just flying, like you see in a movie or something. Cash is flying everywhere. And then the other one, well, you know, there's not no security back in those days like there is now. The other one, it had a 38 revolver, an Army 45, and a Tommy gun. You know, just normal traveling companions, you know, if you're going somewhere. So the gun sprung out, and the porter's eyes lit open. And then all hell started breaking loose after that. Lou, Lou said, well, I'm going to take that hat. So Lou had this thing about hats. He says he didn't, but then again, he loved hats. So he took the porter's hat and put a gun in his face and said, "We're gonna, you're going to stop this train. And we can't stop this train. We're in the mountains. It's dangerous. It's pitch black outside. So they worked their way back up through the uh, cars, robbing people, mugging people. That they never killed anybody. They never, and that's one thing I guess it kept him from getting electrocuted in the very end, as far as uh, his criminal sentence or whatever. But they uh, they did that, and then they finally got on up to the engineer's car. They slugged one of the brakemen, which is like a co-engineer, right, and said, "Stop this train." And uh, what Blue had remembered, he'd remember seeing a little lighted area that they had passed when they were traveling. So he made the engineer stop that train in the West Virginia mountains, pitch black, and back it up to that grade. And the engineer is just pleading with him and said, I know the train may be coming down. He said, this this vessel is only made to back up on level ground. He said, you're going to kill us all. Back the train up. And uh, Lou swatted him again and, this time he took the engineer's cap. <laughs> he had he got another cap, and he said, he said he's leaning out, you know, with a gun in one hand, engineer cap on, looking up the mountain. Come on back, come on back. So uh, his partner Duke, he's still, you know, uh, getting slapped by those old biddies. Duke's back there trying to get more money and cash and furs and everything. So, so they finally back it up for about twenty minutes, and they get in this little clearing, and. Uh, we call it here a honky tonk. It's just old roadside tavern. Okay. And uh, Lou, Lou said, "Well, you know, we robbed a train. We just had furs and cash and rings." And uh, I said, "Well, we just decided to rob that tavern of fifty people, and we robbed them of fifty people." I said, "Well, I said, Lou, how do you rob a tavern of fifty people?" He said, "Well, the first thing you do, you go in." You fire a few shots into the ceiling, set the musical <laughs> stop, and I'm saying, no joke, <laughs> no joke. <laughs> so, so they they did, they did that, and they they went in there. I, I, I there's so many aspects of this story. And there's trust me, there's two dozen more little side stories in my book, Bedlam on the West Virginia Rails. But they go in there, and what they're trying to do is just trying to get some keys to get a car, a getaway car. So they said, all we want is some keys. Give us some keys. And everybody's just frozen in fear. They didn't do anything. And then he said, everybody hit the floor. And he fired a few more shots. And there, of course, everybody hit the floor. And then Lou bellowed out. Now, this is a terminology in 1949. I had never heard of this, but it evidently it was scary at the time. But Lou said, we're going to come around. And the first set of keys that we find in a pocket, we're going to put a bullet in your ear. You know, I told you, I said, you're very more nasty than that. But he said, no, it's a bullet in your ear. That scared them. That scared them. We'll put a bullet in your ear if I find some keys. (laughs) And Lou said, it was like a cartoon strip. He said, there were so many keys being tossed and and flung at him. He said, he had to duck to keep from getting hit. So they were bouncing off the walls behind him and all that stuff. So he got into them, uh, and of all things, too, the one set of keys that he got, uh, they they saw who was coming from, and they went out and got in the car, and then they sped down the road, and they got about a fourth of a mile, and the car started huffing and puffing. 
the one car they picked out as a getaway had run out of gas. Of course. Run out of gas, yeah. So Lou told Duke, well, we got to go back. So here they go. They go back to the same honky-tonk, <laughs> and people in the parking lot, they're coming back! They're coming back! You know, it's just, they panic, you know, and then, <laughs> then you got another set of keys. And uh, they uh, they got on a bus trip. I mean, they, they caught a bus to uh, Washington, D.C. The By this time, there's hundreds of people scouring the West Virginia mountains thinking they had went up the mountains. And they stopped. I mean... They stopped at a diner and, and to get a cup of coffee. Well, sure. And again, yeah, sure. You know, we robbed a train, robbed a tavern, you know, some massive man. Huh? Well, we got to get a cup of Joe here. That's what they call it, Joe. Get a cup of Joe. So they go in there, go in this little diner, and there's those swivel stools, and Duke and Lou didn't sit beside each other, but they kept one in between them. And then this young deputy came in. And you got to realize this is 1949. There's not instant communication like we think of today. But the deputy did not know that there had been a train rob or anything. He just happened to come in there. And he saw how Lou and Duke were kind of acting suspicious. And he asked them, the deputy asked Lou, well, you boys, you know, what's, what do you mean, you know, accident or something? And Lou said, yeah, we flipped our car. We almost hit a deer or something. We just want to get a wrecker and try to get home. So the deputy asked him, well, you boys got some ID? Another one of these funny, true stories. But I think, and Lou reached back and whipped out his wallet, and it was the wallet of the train engineers. Whoops. That he had lifted off of the train. Back in those days, there weren't picture IDs. Oh. And he showed it to him and, and blocked him and blocked him. <laughs> the deputy went on back out, his, out the door. I said, I said, well, Lou, what happened if he'd have, he said, well, we had to drop him, but, but it didn't, it didn't, uh, it didn't happen. And, uh, remember I told you earlier that Lou and Duke, the two train robbers, they, uh, they always wanted to be big shots. That right. was their thing, to be big shots. Wearing zoot suits. National press called them the zoot suit bandits. So they get they get on a bus, and they get it in their head. They want to go visit the President of the United States. <laughs> well, not sure. to hurt him. Sure, not not to hurt him, but they just wanted to visit him. So they're on that bus, and they're, they get to within five blocks of the White House. And... Um, they see this pawn shop with fancy clothes and stuff, and they get off of the bus and go into the pawn shop. Of course, also, they want to pawn all those rings and jewels and stuff that they were carrying. And um, by that time, the Metro Police, without sirens, had surrounded the whole area. And two policemen came in, and, you know, I would think, well, Lou labeled these two cops. He called them coppers, coppers. He called them liar and coward. Later, they got all kinds of decorations and stuff for catching the notorious bank robbers. But yeah, I'm just thinking, if I'm a policeman and these notorious bank robbers, you know, I'm going to go in there with my guns ready to fire, and I'm going to tell them, surrender, put your hands up. Well, these coppers ask them, you boys got any ID? <laughs> and Lou, I mean... That 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 was their story. I, I just lucid, you know. That, that's what they did. Remember, Lou earlier had fooled that other young deputy in the diner right. with the train engineer's wallet. Well, Lou thought he could do it again, so he reached back to get that wallet, and the police officer shot Lou the head down at two inches uh, below his heart, and Lou fell. Of course, obviously Lou survived, but he fell there and. Uh, Lou told me there's something you, you never ever forget as a as a priest hovering over you, giving you your last rites. That would be so, creepy. Yes, that was that was wild. But uh, they uh, Lou his entire life, as he called it, he was family protected, and uh, I mean that's nothing short of mafia. Because when all this was going down, this was a national case after they'd been captured and everything. Duke in the pawn shop. He did not get shot or anything. Lou's part. He just surrendered. Okay. And, uh, but, uh, 
Lou had a $10,000 female attorney. Now, I'm not trying to pick on females or the that amount must have been of $10,000. She must then. She, Lou said, she was the most crookedest attorney the mafia had, and she was the <laughs> best. And, uh, you know, and his friends paid that, that $10,000. $10,000 in 1949 is probably 150000 or more sure. now. But uh, there were three states that wanted to try and fry uh, Lou. wanted to electrocute him. And for those crimes, supermarket robberies, he also had a string of uh, illegal horse bedding. He had a ring down in Miami. And that's a whole chapter in the book about the crooked jockey. But we, I don't think we have time to get into that. But anyway, the for Drew, robbing a train, 150 people, shooting, wounded several people, robbed a tavern, 50 people, stole two getaway cars, tried to get to Harry S. Truman. That rascal only served six years and eight months. And then he was free, a free man. They were trying to put... Alcatraz was just getting... Uh, in the works after Lou was getting out, and they they tried to they wanted to put him in Alcatraz, but uh, but that of course that didn't uh, go go down that way. And another little point, I think it's funny when Lou did the train robbery, he was twenty three years old, and Duke was twenty. Okay, Duke's mom sued the B and O Railroad. You served my son alcohol. He was underage. <laughs> That's what caused all this. <laughs> That's like something that would happen these days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I said, whoa. But, uh, Did she win? But to get in, no, they threw it out as frivolous. Oh. But, uh, but to, to spend time with Lou, the head banded into, I, he just he just thought he was invincible, really. I mean, he, he thought he could do anything. Uh, of course, I mean, he was a notorious thug. There's no way to uh, get around it. But as I say, he was always nice to me. And I, I, asked, I kept asking Lou, I said, Lou, do you ever fear for your life? And he always said, well, your number's up, it's up. But he said, there are still people to this day that are looking for me. You know, you beat up my grandma on that train. Oh, I'm going to get you. Yeah. And, uh, but I asked him, I said, are you armed in any way? And he, he gave me that look and then he raised up his leg and he, he had a nine millimeter block and a angle, ankle, uh, holster. And then he pulled up his other British leg. It's about a 10 to 12 inch bowie knife. <laughs> I said, Lou, are those registered? He looked at me like, you got to be here. <laughs> Anytime, uh, especially with my trivia credentials and writing a syndicated column, uh, anytime you ruffle the feathers with historians, boy, they put up a strong fight. Now, as far as um, this being America's last train robber, the at first I was hitting a lot of getting a lot of static with that, but now more times than not, the historians are wholeheartedly agreeing with me. And they thank me for really bringing this into the light. And they, they told me also, they said, too, you can always say it's the last moving train robbery because the train was actually moving and they stopped it to rob it. And then the other thing, too, they said you can use major train robbery. They said, you know, when you terrorize uh, over 150 people, said it don't get much more major than that. That's so, for sure. uh, yeah, but uh, but we're we're hoping that uh, we can get some Hollywood company uh, like a book to option option it to make it into a movie or something, and then we're 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 getting some serious serious increase. I'm not at liberty to tell you who's nibbling right now. That's part of the deal. But uh, I, know, I know how that you know, goes. We, yeah. we, it, it may turn into a movie, and boy, that would that would be great. Uh, maybe, maybe Greg, you could you could play the young. Young Lou, and <laughs> maybe Nick Nolte in the you know present day. Uh, Nick, Nick looks kind of rough. I don't think he looks eighty six years old yet, but you know, we'll 
A Clint Eastwood. That, hey, no doubt. That, that shit would get. There we go. That, that would work. This sounds but, like it uh, could be a, a comedy just as much as it could be an action movie. Exactly. Exactly. And these these sides these side stories with this stuff and uh he's he's got all kinds of when he was in jail, different things. Oh, and the thing that uh, so much of this story blew me away because it it actually happened, but I did not realize in prison there's like an hierarchy of inmates. Lou was a kingpin in prison. <laughs> of course. And I said, well, okay, well, and he said, I said, well, explain that more. He said, I was a train robber. I was even above the notorious bank robbers. I was a train robber. He said, they worship me, even the bank robbers. And I said, man, that makes sense. It, make, it makes, uh, makes perfect sense. I guess so. But, but, uh, in his later years, I mean, uh, again, his IQ was over a genius level. Right. And he was active in a stamp club here in Spartanburg, South Carolina. Uh, he drove. Uh, he he never told anyone his story except me. Uh, and then now that uh, the book is out, and especially people in our area, are hearing more and more about it. They they just can't. If they just can't believe that that guy did what? Yeah, I said, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's when I uh, he didn't have any. Well, Olu was married five times. Uh, his last wife was black, and Olu was white. And he said, "I didn't give a damn what the rest of them thought." I said, I loved her, and that's all I can. I said, well, that's fine, you know. That's, uh, he said, he said, I only got one son that, I'll, that I'm proud of, and he's in the Air Force in Nevada. So, uh, but, uh, Greg, I probably triggered 100 questions from you about this guy, but it really yeah. happened. I mean, it, this guy really, and I'll tell you, his, uh, he was never on drugs or anything. His drink was whiskey, whiskey shots. When they were on that train, they're drinking whiskey shots. And when I'd go talk with Lou and meet him for a breakfast biscuit, he said, oh, that's made meat for a drink after a while. And I would. And I'd try to drink those whiskey shots with him. I said, man, that is not for the young. <laughs> <laughs> he had some practice. But, yeah, but, uh, but he was always nice to me. That's but, uh, but he was quite a quite a character in our country's history, and just I, I'm still pinching myself to be able to, even though he was an evil genius. Uh, they were going. To, he, he also got a couple of Purple Hearts in World War II as a teenager when he was doing all those supermarket robberies and stuff. He kept getting in and out of reform school, and the judge finally told him. Either you go to war, or I'm going to put you in, you know, you're going to do some hard time. So they literally put him on suicide squads and uh, of, of seven people. And, uh, of course, he survived. He said on one, one of the times they had to go, he said he was the only one that made it back. But he got, he got, he got two Purple Hearts. And he, was a, he was a Marine. And uh, I said, so, so you're an ex-Marine. And, boy, he cleared me up on that. He said, you're never an ex-Marine. You're a Marine till you die. They <laughs> want you are a Marine. I said, well, that, that, I can respect that. Yeah. So, hoo-yah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, yes, I, I've been writing down questions as, as you've been telling the story. Sure. So, sure. I'll do my best to answer them. All right. First of all, um, what were you most surprised by of the stories he was telling you? Most surprised was that he didn't get put away for life for doing this. I mean, not to spin. I mean, when you, I mean, there were 150 individual accounts against him. Everybody on that train filed, you know, filed a report. Yeah, they weren't short on witnesses. Yeah, and that I guess that was the most because I. And the other thing um, that surprised me. Spartanburg, South Carolina? Why in the world would you come to Spartanburg, <laughs> South Carolina? I mean, I love my city. Don't get me wrong. It's a city of about 50,000 
Dean's corporate headquarters are here. I don't know if that helps us or hurts us, but anyway, <laughs> uh, uh, Carolina Panthers do their training camp. But he, after he served six years and eight months at the Atlanta Federal Penitentiary, and after that, he stayed in the Atlanta area and got into the advertising and got into the bar business. Before it was over with, he owned three large-sized bars in the Atlanta, Georgia metro area. He became friends with Johnny Esposito. Johnny Esposito was known as Mr. Knife Club in Atlanta, especially in the 60s and 70s and 80s, really, before he died. And then after that, um, Lou got into the video poker business. And they literally saturated the Atlanta metro area. So Lou's bosses had heard of this, these two interstates that intersect. Um, it's I-26 and I-85, two major thoroughfares in the southeast. But those two I interstates, they intersect in Spartanburg, South Carolina. So his bosses said, go over there where those interstates intersect and set us up in business. So Lou came into Spartanburg and set up a video poker empire. And then later, the state of South Carolina uh, ruled it as illegal. So, and Lou just, of course, he, he just stayed, stayed in the area. But he said he'd never heard of Spartanburg um, before that at all. Again, his, his roots, he was from Youngstown, Ohio. Probably rambled on on your question, answer two or three no, questions. But, no, no, <laughs> that's that's just, I'm, I'm crossing them off as you go. No problem there. <laughs> okay, that's fine. Again, thank you for having me. No, thank you for joining us. Um, what? Uh, how long was the process of getting to know and, and, and interviewing Lou about you know the train robber and everything else that happened? Um, I spent. Remember, I, he kept he was stalking me, right? And I finally found out that. You know, he was really checking me out. He was trying to see if there was someone I could, that he could, a writer that could tell his story. But, uh, but we, we started meeting. We would meet at least once a week for breakfast. He, he loved gravy biscuits and coffee, and we'd meet at this little fast food place. And I've, I've, thank goodness I've got a, I audio taped all my interviews with him. Once I get those, organized, you know, that's something too, it'd be great. Maybe at a later date or something, you know, supply you some of those or something. That'd to, be really to hear his actual, actual voice. Cause I, uh, I was able to ask him point blank questions, which, and he just, you know, he's a tough old cuss. He, he just, he just answer the questions exactly like I'd ask them. And, Another wild tidbit on this guy. He said, well, you ought to put something in there about Ernest Hemingway. And I said, what? <laughs> he said, my dad and him were drinking buddies and friends. Oh, geez. I said, well, come on. Ernest Hemingway? Well, let me show you. And then he had these letters from Ernest Hemingway to his father. Ernest Hemingway letters, letters. So I said, Lou, I said, can I borrow these for 24 hours? Please. Well, one of my one of my friends is a college professor that is an Ernest Hemingway expert. I didn't think I was going to get the letters back from him. I mean, he said, man, this is what you can't believe how much this is worth. These are authentic Hemingway letters. How did you get them? I said, well, you know. But, uh, and then Lou showed me all these pictures. Ernest Hemingway was married multiple times, and in a couple of the weddings, in the wedding photos, Ernest Hemingway, there's Lou's dad. And I said, man. But I, I did, I did put a copy of uh, one of the envelopes in the book. So, I said, man, Ernest Hemingway? I think most everybody's heard of him. I said, but, uh, and I asked Lou, I said, um, that Tommy gun that you had on the train, I asked him a lot about that. He, he said he is so thankful that it did not work 
uh, he had seen this in a gangster movie, and he he loved going to the picture show, and he wanted to get him a Tommy gun because all the gangsters and thugs had Tommy guns. So he had one, but it was broke. He said if that thing had been working when we were on that train and robbing it and us drunk, he said, I just hate to think what we could have, we would have done. So, but again, he, he never killed anybody. But, uh, but just through interviews with him for three years and he would ask me to, uh, I spoke at his stamp club one time and one time his car battery called me and I went over and jumped it off for him. I mean, <laughs> I really, I really became his friend. I mean, it was, again, the guy was a notorious thug earlier in life and all that. And now he's a stamp collector. I, yeah, yeah, a stamp collector and a, and a genius. And I would, do these, I would do these trivia gigs and things, and uh, Lou would come out and play. And I've got some hard tail core trivia folks that, they know everything. I mean, I think they do, but I, I pummel them. But, uh, <laughs> but, but Lou would end up winning a round or two. I mean, just, I mean, the guy was just super smart. I mean, he, 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 he was, but, uh, God rest his soul. But I, I, we, I still laugh about him butting them old ladies on the train and they wouldn't give up the jewelry and furs and they just said they just fussing and preaching that you're going to hell for robbing this train you're going to hell he needed to be lectured <laughs> he was getting lectured and he was robbing uh, a train the uh, and the thing about too he had uh, what helped identify him later was his big feet he wore a size 13 back in 1949 and of course, 13 is pretty common today, but yeah. uh, he, he said he always had to special order his shoes. And, and today's, he, I said, what size shoe you wear today? He said, well, I wear a 14 today. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty big foot. I, I wear a 16, so I feel his pain. Wow! Whoa! Yeah. Whoa! <laughs> the, uh, but uh, but he, he wore those 14 shoes, and the... Uh, but that thing about, you know, he's married and settling in Spartanburg later, and he, he loved to sit out on his front porch. He was he was amazed at squirrels. He said, <laughs> they can run, they can hop, they can jump, they can walk. A squirrel can do it all. So he, he would sit out there, and he had such another terrific skill of a, he was a portrait painter. Okay. And he showed me these portraits. I went over to his house several times, um, and it would be all this macabre stuff, eerie stuff. It'd be Hitler, Armageddon, oh, geez. Stalin, yeah, Jonestown, yes. I mean, he, he the, the scarier it was, the more he could paint it, and he's just very talented. He offered to give me a couple of those things one time, and I did not take them. Why didn't <laughs> I take them? Why didn't I take them? I asked, I said, well, how much money did y'all actually get during the robbery? And he said, even though the press thought it was a super organized, well-orchestrated attempt to rob a train, he said at best maybe $3,000, which is a lot back then. I mean, it's a lot now to me, but, you know, they had rings and furs, and they just, it was just all they could carry. Yeah, it's not like uh, was it was it well planned said, out? No, uh, just spur of the moment. Uh, whiskey, whiskey was his that made them made them do that. But when they, you know, you get shot five blocks from the White House. Uh, <laughs> golly, that would be huge but, news nowadays. Oh yes, yes. The uh, but I asked him. I said. Did you ever kill anyone? And he said, "Well, no, not unless you count all those Japs I killed in World War II." <laughs> and I asked, him, "I said, Lou, what's the most, what's what's the most scariest time in your life? What were you most scared of?" And he said, "We now this is when he was a teenager. Mm-hmm. He heard on the news that three people had frozen to death." And I said, "What's that got to do with anything? Three people frozen to death." He said, we robbed this supermarket, 
And while we were doing it, we put three of the loud mounts in the back freezer. And we locked the door and left them in there. And I was so afraid that those people had frozen to death that come to find out it was three homeless people who had froze to death no. in Ohio. But he, he, he had thought that he had you know, locked those people in the freezer and they'd frozen to death. Sure. Um, yeah, but... He he, you know you you mentioned the fact that he was uh, family protected. Did did that ever worry you while hanging out with him that this might become an issue? Um. Yes, I mean he he never used the word mafia as a writer. I mean, I just kind of put two and two together. Sure. He just he just said I always had very influential friends. Um, when he was a teenager, he kept getting in the local lockup. And when he was in there, you know, he was a teenager at this time, there was a guy in his 40s who was there. And Lou said he was a local crime big dog. And Lou said, while I was in the county lockup, he kind of took me under his wing and um, looked out for me and said, we were we were literally eating steaks every meal because of him. Nice. And Lou Lou kept friend, and I never he never would tell me his name, nor did I ever push him for that. But that bond that they had, um, briefly, I'll tell you about the the Florida trip. Um, sure. Yeah. There was this was a horse betting um, in. Miami area, and there was a jockey on the take, a crooked jockey, and the local crime guy uh, gave Lou $5,000 cash and said, I want you to go to Florida, said, I'll arrange for the trip and everything, here's, here's someone you contact when you get there, and I want you to stay a couple of weeks. And you're going to be betting on crooked horse races. So, of course, Lou and Duke, uh, this is before they got took the bus up and got on the train and all. This is way before the train robbery. But they went down there and they met up with this crooked jockey. And he would literally tell them how to place bets. And this went on all for about 10 days or so. And they've they've got about twenty thousand dollars by now Jeez. that they had won. Yeah, I mean that's a lot of money in nineteen forty. That's a lot of money. Now. Yeah. So anyway, Lou is telling me he said, "Well, a lot more of this story." I said, "Okay, tell me about it." He said, "Well, when you got that kind of cash, you don't leave it in your hotel room. You don't have it on you." So I said, well, "Lou, what do you do with it?" This is what they did. This is a guy that's got a genius IQ. <laughs> they, were, they were in a hotel, two floors up. They could look out over and see the racetrack. I mean, they walked over to place their bets. Okay. There were some, there were some pine trees and a little forest beside the hotel. So they went out there and dug a hole and put the money and then covered it up with pine needles. That was their security. That was their security. <laughs> they said, well, everybody knows them. You have money under here except for the jockey. They were supposed to meet up with the jockey one night at 11 o'clock in the hotel room, and he, he didn't show up. I said, well, he must have got delayed or something. So the next morning, they go out to dig up the money, and it's gone. Gone. Jockey had ripped them off, had ripped them off. Of course, they went back over to the track find, trying to find him, and he was nowhere to be seen. Jeez. And and one of the last things Lou told me, he he called him that damn midget crooked jockey. <laughs> he always said, I'm still looking for him. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the jockey ripped him off and all that. And the other thing, too, because Lou had to tell his bosses, right, you know, all course. the money was gone. And I said, well, Lou, I bet that was scary. He said, no. It wasn't scary at all. I just told them the truth, and they they knew me, and there was no no uh, 
no, no problem or repercussions ever. So I said, wow, y'all must have really had a nice bond there. Apparently and he so. Said, and, he's, and, and Lou said, well, I want to help find him. And they said, well, well, we'll find him. We'll we'll let you know what happens. And evidently, none of them ever did find him. But that, that, that little damn midget jockey ripped us off. <laughs> so, you know, so, I mean, come on, you, you bury the money outside and trying to some pine needles. I mean, but then again, I guess you wouldn't want to leave it in a little hotel like that, or you I wouldn't guess. want to have it on you. Not, not exactly but, Fort Knox out there. <laughs> no, no. Jeez. <laughs> but uh, a, uh, I've got one one whole chapter devoted to that damn midget jockey. jockey. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but he was he was crooked. But so that- I guess the. Small and all this story is, you know, next time you're sitting in a restaurant, you know, you never, he might be across over there because, you know, I was sitting in a restaurant. But he, he didn't hurt a fly in, in, I mean, his last few years. But, but he had those piercing eyes. I mean, he, he, he was, he was still very mysterious. My girlfriend, uh, she's one of the ones that thought he was a vampire from day one. You only see him at night, and he don't walk, he just glides. Look, look, look. You know, so, because you're dressed in this long trench coat, and he's 80, in his mid-80s, and he looks like a, who knows what he looks like. But uh, He looks a bit like a like an old mining prospector. Yeah, yeah. People say, he ought to have been with ZZ Tops, and he looks like them. Exactly. Know, but, uh, oh. but he was, I mean, it, He's like six foot tall, six feet tall, and I mean his posture was straight. I mean he didn't look like you know, he wasn't humped over anything. And the uh, he was at a neighborhood uh, restaurant at lunch and had a stroke and fell in the floor. And he lived about another three months after that. This is in uh, oh summer of 2012. Okay. And he went into a uh, nursing home, and then he died in hospice, which is a great organization that treats people with dignity towards the end. Right. And uh, the thing about it, in the obituary in the local Spartanburg Herald Journal, there's only like two sentences. It said, Lumen Ramsdale, 86, of such and such drive. That's all it was. And then... I told the paper the story about it, and then they they put it on the front page of the big Sunday edition, and then uh, it's really, I mean, my, my phone hadn't run off the hook, but I really, people want to hear the story of, of this guy, especially because in, in our history, I mean, he was truly America's last moving train robber. Lou Ramsdale. Was there anything, you know, by the time he had passed that you kind of realized, like, crap, I wish I would have asked him this, or I wish he would have told me about that? Well, I wanted to learn more about his family. Uh, he, he was just, I mean, with five wives, and the thing about it, the in some of the newspaper clippings, I mean, the women that he married, I mean, they're foxes. I mean, there wasn't no, <laughs> wasn't no ugly hogs. Or I mean, these were foxes. I mean, he just, I mean, there's just beautiful women that he married. And did I, well for himself. I know. Yeah, yeah. He was always styling, you know, zoot suit bandit. But <laughs> I just, I just got to, I know his children are out there somewhere. I mean, they'd be 60 years old now, but I know. I, I, yeah, you know, I just thought with a book coming out and and talking about this and some of the media talking it up, you know, you would think that I'd hear from somebody in his family. I, I've heard zero. It's just uh, now I know Duke. Duke was his partner, who's still alive, living in Honolulu. By the way, Duke is a ballroom dance instructor. <laughs> <laughs> From bandit to ballroom and dancer instructor. Yeah, thank Robert bank instructor. And Lou told me that Duke's folks just disowned him after that. So he just his folks just you know, they were so ashamed about, you know, having a train robber in their family. So but uh well maybe sooner or later 
especially if we get someone from Hollywood to buy the book to movie option. You know, maybe, maybe I'll hear from some of this family, or, or maybe they just didn't want to have anything to do with him. Who, who knows? I mean, that's just not something you talk about at the family reunion. Yeah, there's, there's an Uncle Lou over there. Yeah, he robbed the trainers. Yeah, he shot a few people. And robbed the tavern. You know, he's going to get to Harry Truman. You know, I mean, something you bring up in conversation. <laughs> but, not the, not the, the normal shot, dinner talk. Yeah, no. The shock and awe of, of, uh, of people in my area. What was that? What? He's a train robber. Train robber? They don't do that anymore, do they? I said, well, they did in 1949. <laughs> but, uh, but I've got a picture of the actual train that he robbed. I mean, that thing is magnificent structure, state-of-the-art diesel. It was one of the first of its kind in America. Uh being old railroad, as I said earlier. I mean, I'm sure they're fine folks that be an old railroad, but, you know, when you start writing a book, you want to get as many sides to the story that you can. And it's not that they were hateful, but they were just indifferent. You want to write a book about this? I said, yeah, what I do. <laughs> and, uh, and I was able to dig up a comic book. Of course, it wasn't funny. There's a comic book about the... 1949 Zoot Suit Bandits comic book devoted to that train robbery. Wow. Of course, of course, I got it, and with permission, I've got it in its entirety. It's in the middle of my book. And, uh, of course, I showed that to Lou, and, you know, he said, damn, I didn't even know that. I said, <laughs> yeah, here it is. And he got to reading it, and, uh, of course, it's from the B&O Railroad point of view, but but uh, he he said there's only like three uh, major errors in it. And one of them was it's saying that Lou that that Duke and Lou were calling each other's name during robbery. He said, "No, we never mention our name. We, we ain't stupid. We don't say our <laughs> real name." And it also said that the train got backed up on the side track when they after they stopped the train. That that never happened. They were on the main railroad. Uh, line there, uh, but he, he said it was pretty, uh, pretty factual on that. And the thing about what I'm trying to entice Hollywood is this: you know, we got this comic strip. It's got illustrations of the robbery. It looks like the screenplay, plus all my in-depth interviews with the Ed Bennett himself. It looks like it's. You know, there's two or three steps we skipped here to... Yeah, you already got the storyboard ready to go. Yeah, storyboard and everything right here. And uh, and besides that, uh, it, it was a true story. I mean, it's, it's nonfiction. And all these funny or peculiar side stories in there with these two going down, they, uh, <laughs> Lou and Duke were in the train, uh, hitting these women with the butter, their pistol, and all that. And uh, Lou, was, he hit one woman. I mean, it's like nice to say you hit a woman to try to get a furs, but she wouldn't give him up. <laughs> and Duke's over there, and strike one, strike one. So Lou goes on up, you know, and he's trying to get another biddy. That's what I call these old biddies, purple-haired in the southern <laughs> south here. Purple-haired women in Chittenden. But uh, the... Uh, Remind me to tell you a funny story that happened to me at church. But anyway, the uh, so and then this other woman wouldn't give up her jewelry and strike two, you know, and they're robbing a train, you know, and he's talking about strike one, strike two. You ain't got any money yet, you know. So they were well, brass balls, uh, drunk on whiskey. That was uh, that, that was it. Little liquid courage. Have you yeah. uh, been in contact? Had you talked at all with with Duke Aston? No, I have never. I have never spoken to him. I have never. I, I set it up uh, with Lou to, and him to have a conversation. And uh, you know, Lou, Lou was old school with technology. He didn't have the internet. He didn't uh, didn't have a cell phone. Nothing like that. It was. Uh, uh, you know, I set it up uh, from his landline at his home. And the other, other thing, which is I, I've had some um, 
you call these people that are seeking treasure, treasure seekers, um, when they were escaping on the train, they buried a bunch of loot near a water tower under a big oak tree. It was in 1949, and Lou said, we never did go back to get it. Oh, jeez. Well, yeah, it was probably there somewhere. And then uh, the other thing, too, that uh, Lou's house, I, I rode by it the other day, and they got a tax sale thing on it. Obviously, nobody paid the taxes on it, but yeah, I'd say if I could get that thing to the right price, I would love to go tear open those walls and see because whenever I'd be out with Lou, uh, he'd never let me pay for anything. When we'd be eating breakfast, of course, breakfast doesn't cost much. When we go to a pub later on and drink whiskey shots, <laughs> he would pull out a wad of, I, I think all he used was $100 bills. He'd just pull out a wad of them. I said, Lou, don't, don't do it like that, you know? He's, ah, you know, it's just money. So, Oh, sure, but, just money. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Give us another. Give us another. <laughs> Have there been any train rob moving train robbery since, or is that truly the last train robbery? Um, that you're aware. There of? have there have been. I mean, of course, the great train robbery over in England was in the '60s. I mean that that one really got a lot of worldwide attention. But what I'm stressing, America's. Right. Last train robbery. America's last train robbery. Now, there's some, of course, any tr train robber is never minor, but every now and then you hear somebody tried to rob a train when it was stopped. You know, they didn't go terrorize the passengers or anything like that. I mean, there's isolated cases of that. But that's the reason, you know, we're saying it's the last moving major train robbery yeah. in America. So, and that, of course... Who knows? I mean, Amtrak could be could be being robbed right now. But when you think of a train these days, you don't you don't think you got losing money on them. I mean, no. the Wild West days, of course, there were payloads and things like that and, and all that. But but the press, the national press, I mean, they they likened this to the event of Jesse James in the Wild West days. And <laughs> it's fun to look at all these old newspaper articles. Saying eight gunmen stopped train, and one newspaper account said they put cows across the track. The engineer <laughs> didn't want to run over a cow. There wasn't no cows in the track, you know. But the, the press, you could tell they really filled in uh, the news to, uh, <laughs> to to sell papers. But but uh, but it really it really did. Uh, really did happen. That's funny. Before we uh, wrap things up, the one thing you said was to remind you about a church story. Well, this, this, is, this is a side story that's got nothing to do with this, but uh, <laughs> I, I I go to church. I love going to church. Uh, I go to the United Methodist Church in my area, and a couple of weeks ago, or whenever, three weeks ago, was Father's Day, okay? Okay. Remember, Greg, this has got nothing to do, you might have edit this out, but it's got nothing to do with the train <laughs> robber, bedlam on the West Virginia rails. Get that book, folks. It's at Barnes & Noble, or look up Bedlam and Wilson Casey. It's kind of like i got two last names, but I'm the trivia guy, trivia Guinness World Record holder. Anyway, it was Father's Day at church, and these old biddies, uh, purple-haired women, um, one of them come up to me and said, Wilson, uh, I never, I don't think I know your parents or your dad. And I said, well, man, my dad died a long time ago. And this purple-haired lady, she was real apologetic. And said, well, I'm so sorry. And I told her with a straight face. I said, it's okay. It was either me or him. <laughs> and I walked away. And she's going to spread around the church, and I killed my dad. <laughs> that old little guy right this train on the books that killed his dad. Do you know that? You know, and I said, well, <laughs> that's not right. I shouldn't have done that, but I, I'm picking at her. So. But, uh, but man, that's great talking with you and your fine audience. And uh, I, I'm keeping my fingers crossed that someone from Hollywood will uh, take the book-to-movie option because it's a true story about America's last train robber and being able to get inside the evil genius, uh, evil thug, and spend time with him and write his story. And there's just so many 
comic and side stories that actually happened to this. Plus, as you said, we've got a good storyline. Uh, got everything that happened about the train robbery. Plus, there's a comic book with comic strip illustrations and dialogue of the whole train robbery going down. That's in the middle of the book. And, but, uh, and like I was saying before, on, this on could West be West Virginia Rails. Yeah, sorry, huh? th- I was saying before this could be a comedy just as much as an action film or anything else. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Be, be it, a fun know, movie. True. Well, I, I appreciate that. So make sure you go check out Bedlam on the West Virginia Rails, The Last Train Bandit Tells His True Tale by Wilson Casey. Mr. Casey, thank you so much for joining us today. Greg, thank you so much, okay? All right, thank you once again. Bedlam on the West Virginia Rails, you guys can pick that up on Amazon. And when you do, just click on the banner at the bottom of the IWantToKnowShow.com homepage. will not cost you guys anything extra. Kicks a couple of pennies back in my pocket, helps me keep the show free for you guys, and you can do all your Amazon shopping by clicking on that banner. Before we wrap this thing up, I'll let you guys know that the next show is going to be with Lorna Adams. She is a psychic and afterlife communicator. She's going to talk about her background, her readings, and she's even going to give me a free psychic reading. So we will see how that turns out. In the meantime, don't forget to like the show on Facebook, facebook.com slash I want to know show. You can follow the show on Twitter at I want to know show. Keep sending your guys' awesome feedback. You can email it, I want to know pod at gmail.com. And of course, there's a contact page over at I want to know show.com. So thanks to you guys for listening, and thanks again to Wilson Casey for not only being a really fun guest, but being a great storyteller. You can check out Wilson Casey at TriviaGuy.com, and don't forget to let me know what you thought of the show. So on that note, good night, everybody. Good night, everybody.